Researching this book, I was surprised to find a 1989 interview in which I described, for Bill Eichenberger of the Columbus Dispatch, quote, the sound I want, kind of like if the Velvet Undergrounds and Merle Haggard's buses collided and the band members got mixed up. That's the sound in my head, unquote. I say I was surprised because unlike some of the authors in this series, I'm not writing about a record that instantly and fundamentally changed my life, but one that I was affected by tangentially, synchronistically, coincidentally, from a hundred directions before I ever heard it. Why was I eating up valuable column inches in 1989, lauding a group that hadn't been remotely close to one of my first musical loves? Then I remembered. It wasn't long before that interview that I bought my first Velvets album. I'd heard the stuff, sure, even covered tunes in other folks' bands over the years, but it wasn't until I owned the 1986 post-mortem compilation VU that I really fell in love with the band, mainly through the raw slab of Stax Meets Surf from another dimension called I Can't Stand It. I did not grow up a fan of the Velvet Underground. I belonged to the generation that graduated high school around the time of America's bicentennial, my mother painted the entire house red, white, and blue. While painting bocce balls in the yard, she discovered I had accidentally beheaded our lawn Madonna when the chain from my nunchaku broke. In East Boston, all we knew about Lou Reed were his two hits, Sweet Jane and Walk on the Wild Side. The latter lived on the jukebox at Jean's Coffee Shop, our local hamburger-cum-bookie joint. There... One after another of my shoeshine dimes hovered at the edge of the Seaberg coin slot for a moment, before disappearing over the rim, sacrificial victims exchanged for the volcanic pleasure of hearing that intro with its supercool bass slides. That's Herbie Flowers playing two bass parts, an acoustic and a Fender Electric harmonizing a tenth above. Eating burgers in East Boston watching brazenly crooked cops emptying bags of swag from their trunks to be stored in Jean's kitchen, waiting for the colored girls to go do-do-do-do-do again. Lou surfaced in my world for the first time on Jean's jukebox. A brief aside, the other song I played a lot at Jean's was Lola, which I now realize makes two Chicks with Dicks tunes on the same box. This unquestionably earns the place the title of epicenter of transvestite culture in East Boston. But I digress. By high school, I had discovered the electric guitar, and my spare change was used less for juke fuel than for the subway fare to and from band rehearsal. Eno and Iggy popped up on my radar and turntable. The basement groups I was in covered Queen Bitch and Bowie's version of I'm Waiting for the Man, but failed to notice that the former was dedicated to the Velvet Underground, while Lou Reed's name not Bowie's, fell under the writing credit of the latter. Transformer was an album we played a lot. We being my best friend, first drummer, Anthony Rausio, my dangerously sexually advanced girlfriend, Kathy, and a number of brilliant and insane gay high schoolers who constituted an alternate universe to my usual one in Eastie. Transformer was the record playing when Mick Abbott's 16th birthday costume party turned into an omnisexual orgy that was interrupted by a surprise visit from his dad bringing pizza out to the garage. Surprise! The costume party line was that Bowie was generously helping out his less successful friend when he produced Transformer. Who knew that Bowie was simply repaying the enormous debt he owed to Reed, 
having stitched together the flamboyantly bisexual Ziggy character that made him famous, almost entirely from the detached, decadent cloth he'd borrowed from the Velvet Underground. Bowie praised the Velvets to anyone who'd listen. We didn't, freely admitting his debt to them and resuscitating Reed's flagging career. But by then, it was too late for the Velvets. Before long, I fell under the spell of Boston's underground music scene, discovering amazing bands like Ready Teddy and The Real Kids, and records like Live at the Rat and Live at CBGB's. There were close ties between the Boston and New York scenes. Alpo from The Real Kids caught crabs after stealing a pair of pants from Dolls drummer Arthur Killer Kane. I'm talking strong ties here. Velvets influenced New York bands Television, Blondie, Patti Smith, and the Ramones joined my local favorites.